Welcome to Purple Politics Nevada. I'm your host, Lucia Starbuck. The name refers to the fact that the state isn't red or blue, it's both. Today, we're talking about taxes and Tesla. Later this year, the electric car manufacturer will start having to pay property taxes for the first time in 10 years. The state gave the company tax breaks in 2014 to build its Gigafactory at the Tahoe Reno Industrial Center in Story County. My first guest is Story County Manager Austin Osborne, who will talk about the county's big plans for this new source of revenue, including updating its crumbling infrastructure. Later on, I'll be speaking with Jacob Witten, a researcher with Good Jobs First, about the pros and cons of state government tax incentives. Austin, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Take us back a bit. Story County is made up of some isolated residential communities and, of course, Virginia City, a historic mining town made famous by the Comstock Lode and Mark Twain. And Virginia City was heavily reliant on tourism up until the 1990s. And now there's the Industrial Center. How did we get here? What drove this change? Well, there's a lot of history in Story County. The county before year 2000 was heavily reliant on tourism with Virginia City and also brothels at the north end of the county. And that was about it. At that point, the brothels had left the community. With that, a lot of the revenue of Story County had also dried up. There's also changes that have happened with all of Nevada, with gaming being allowed in other places. When those economies slowed down, so did the tourism economy of Virginia City, so Story County was hit twofold. So around that time, the county leadership was enduring state leaders coming and we're going to carve up the county and give it to its neighbors. We were going to lose Story County. And I was here at the time. I remember worrying about it. Am I going to live in Washoe County or Lyon County? The leadership had come into some opportunities and had a dream of an industrial park out in the desert. That was the Tahoe Reno Industrial Center. That really is what transformed Story County from working in the red because it couldn't pay its bills to not only surviving, but creating a sustainable long-term economy for itself and also for the benefit of the entire region. One of those companies is Tesla. It hasn't had to pay property taxes for 10 years and finally will have to in July. And some of that revenue is going to make its way to Story County. What kind of impacts do you expect? Despite the amount of money that might be coming, we're still cautious because we don't know exactly what those revenues are going to look like in real cash. But we're putting together our capital improvement planning. What are we gonna do with the first and second and even the first 10 years of payments Most of it is going to be turned into pipes and infrastructure and buried in the ground. It sounds not very exciting, but it's critical infrastructure that Story County has had deferred for some of this goes back to the Civil War. You mentioned putting pipes in the ground. What projects are top of the list? The Virginia City water system is a system that's been patchworked for the last hundred years, but since the 1870s, it is still the same pipes in the ground. We get our water in Virginia City, Gold Hill and Silver City from Marlette Lake and Hobart Reservoir above Lake Tahoe. There is an 800 pound per square inch siphon that moves that water down below Washoe Valley. We drive over the top of the line on 580. That water serves this community as it did in the Comstock days. That pipe is old, it's ductile iron, it's rusted and it blows out all the time. As we speak, my house is under a boil water notice because of repairs that need to be made this time in front of my house, in addition to roads across the entire county, drainages across the entire county. 
the courthouse we're in right now. It's an amazing building to work in. I love it. But we got modern electricity a year ago. What did you do before you had electricity? Well, we had electricity. We got by. We crossed our fingers. There was fear of the building burning down. The light would flicker. You'd be on a Zoom meeting and it would conk out on you. One time, a staff plugged something in and sparks shot out of the wall. It wasn't reliable and it wasn't safe. Water. This community is under boil water notices, conserve water notices, meaning don't do anything other than drink water or take a shower and a short one all the time. It seems like these blowouts that we have that cause geysers that are 30 feet in the air, they seem to always happen on weekends, holidays, in the middle of winter when Public Works is trying to plow snow and then you get a water blowout and then they got to stop plowing snow and attend to that and then you have residents and businesses that can't get home or get out because there's nobody plowing snow. It really stretches our resources very, very thin, constantly running to these emergencies and resolving them. More than two-thirds of the Lockwood community is under a FEMA-designated floodplain. How much of an issue is flooding in Story County? Tremendous. Uh, the Lockwood community flooded in 97 and 2005 and 2017, and we're watching it again this year. We have a fire station in Lockwood, for example. It's in the floodplain. It floods. You can't have a fire station with an ambulance and everything in that kind of environment. There's eight, nine, ten million dollars to move the fire station to a more appropriate location. Also with the industrial center, there's an increase in jobs, so an increase in people moving to the area or wanting to be closer to work. Has Story County seen an influx of people? And if so, what is the county doing to address workforce or affordable housing needs? With the Tahoe Reno Industrial Center coming online, and especially with the Gigafactories addition, we know that there is roughly about 25,000 employees in the area being generated from that. We recognize that there's some need for housing in our county. We had in 2016 rewritten our master plan, and we have areas in Lockwood and Painted Rock especially designated for large-scale housing. There's some water rights that have been taken from those areas and moved to other places where they're building houses. So the developers that are interested in Painted Rock and in Lockwood are in a little bit of a a situation where they're ready to build, they're ready to do something, submit an application for a planning and development, but they have to get the water taken care of first. Uh, since we did the master plan update, our county commissioners have deregulated substantially all of the residential codes. We're a county where you can do accessory dwelling units. We do high density, mixed use development. You can live on top work downstairs type of environment. What about when it comes to emergency services? What is the county planning to do to meet the demands when it comes to police and fire? So what's challenging about Story County is it's almost like being a leader of three or four different counties. What we have is, you know, you look at a topographic map of Story County and it's like Hawaii. You got two different things going on on every island. When we look at a fire station, we're having to rebuild the fire station in Virginia City right now. Down in Lockwood, have to build a fire station. And then we have Tri-Center. All of these areas are on different parts of the county. So fire, sheriff's office, all of your emergency management are bifurcated into these different areas. So really you have to duplicate effort again and again. The geography is different in all these places. The type of uh, sheriff's vehicles that we buy for Tri-Center are highway machines, you know, for speed. And they don't work on the mountain areas. So the rest of the county, it's pickups and side-by-sides and other types of equipment that can handle the snow and the mountain challenges that we have. 
We're looking at court services, jails, and justice centers possibly having two of the same thing on both ends of the county to serve Tahoe Reno Industrial Center as well as Virginia City and the Highlands. Then you have to look at Mark Twain and Lockwood that are kind of in between. Story County does not have a hospital. Is that a priority? We always are looking. I mean, we've had an urgent care out at the Tahoe Reno Industrial Center. Right now, our hospital services are off the hill, but as our community grows, especially if we get a large residential development at Painted Rock or in our other communities, a hospital certainly could be coming into play. So the county has this master plan. You're also getting revenue from Tesla's property taxes. How related are the two? They're totally interrelated. Now that we actually are starting to see the revenues that might come our way next year, which is, it's a lot to us. Let's say it's $15 million for a county that's got roughly $25 million budget. That's going to be substantial for us. But immediately, when you put your capital improvement plan together and you look at water infrastructure, and then you put a community center in there, and then you put a couple of arterial roads in the county, it eats all up immediately. It's all gone. And then you never even got into the fun stuff. A hundred years of deferred maintenance is having to catch up with that before we start doing the ribbon cutting type of things. I think you should still do a ribbon cutting uh, once you replace the water pipe. Of course, (laughs) of course we would, but you talk about how these two are intertied. You can't spend the money, you can't invest without the revenue. So we have to watch those revenues and we don't know for sure that the anticipated revenues are coming our way are really gonna happen. There are taxation changes, there's depreciation of property that's in our tax code. The economy could shift, things could slow down at the industrial park. Part of our capital improvement plan that people don't realize is we have to pay back all of the infrastructure at the Tahoe Industrial Center. So wherever you build something, the developer usually puts in the roads, the drainages, and then they dedicate it to the county and the county maintains it. In our case, we do that too, but then we have to pay it back too. We actually have a 50-year car payment on all of our infrastructure out there. We have $150 million roughly of future revenue or debt that we need to prepare for. Why is Story County on the hook for that debt? Well, remember at the beginning of the show, we talked a little bit about the Story County's history where it's being carved up to its neighbors. And so there was an agreement made between a land developer, Tahoe Reno Industrial Center, and Story County. The developer said, hey, I got money and means to make something amazing happen that will put the county into the black, into perpetuity and tax black. And the county said, we have all this great land and entitlements. Let's come up with a great agreement. But at that same time, the developer has to get something out of it. You mentioned the county facing 100 years of deferred maintenance. Do you think the county or these projects would have fared differently if Tesla had been paying property taxes the entire time? How do you look at something like that? And I think the county leadership, when the whole Tesla deal was coming, you know, it's not looking at it that way. It's more of an investment. We didn't know at the time, was Tesla even going to become anything? But it's kind of that glass half full mentality is, Northern Nevada at the time, the economy was not doing well. The whole state was not doing well. You look at the time and say it's a company that's going to come to Northern Nevada, and you have to incentivize them to do it. We're competing with other states to bring a company like that in. And Tesla says, we're going to take Nevada and we're going to get out of the distribution and casino business and low-paying jobs. They're not careers. And we're going to change Nevada into a place where there's tech jobs, skilled labor, and there's advanced manufacturing. Do you want to be part of this or not? And the answer is, well, can we come up with an agreement where we can be part of it 
but we're going to make an investment. But with an investment, there's going to be an upfront cost to that. And we invested deferred sales tax dollars, property tax. We did negotiate an agreement with Tesla that they offset our cost of responding to the gigafactory. So didn't lose anything. And then here we are, not only is Story County looking at a potential revenue source, but look what it has done to Reno Sparks and Fernley and Carson City. Look what has happened here, the types of opportunities. That would have never happened if the not only the state of Nevada, but Story County didn't make these investments for transforming our area into something new. And because of the Gigafactory, Switch came. We know that Apple came in Washoe County. And then we had Google. How does it feel to see Story County go from this tourism hub, brothels, to now being this kind of tech hub? It's exciting and it's terrifying. <laughs> We're here in Virginia City doing this interview and we put extraordinary effort into keeping this community the way it was 100 years ago. I mean, it's motto is step back in time, and that's a real thing. You come to this community, and it isn't just something that looks old. It is old. Unfortunately, what's under the ground is old, too. We work very hard to make sure that people can have that vintage 19th century experience. But if you could get on the roof of the building and see over the mountain just to our north, it's exact opposite. All of a sudden you change hats and mentality. It is the most cutting edge tomorrow technology, companies coming in from all over the planet. I used to make a joke, you know, when blockchains wanted to build their smart city, I painted rock. I said, if you can build a skyscraper high enough to see Virginia City, you could see the past and the future shaking hands at each other or waving at each other. It's definitely two worlds. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me, Austin. You're welcome. It was my pleasure. That was Story County Manager Austin Osborne. I'm Lucia Starbuck, and you're listening to Purple Politics Nevada. Now I'm joined by Jacob Witten, a researcher with D.C.-based Good Jobs First, a national policy resource center tracking government tax incentives. Thanks so much for joining me, Jacob. Yeah, happy to be here. So Tesla has been on the minds of many Nevadans. In 2014, the electric car company received more than $1 billion in tax incentives to build a gigafactory here. And then again, the state gave more than $300 million in tax breaks last year to expand that gigafactory. Tax incentives aren't new and they aren't unique to Nevada. So why do governments dole out these breaks? There are a couple of different reasons. To start, let's address the reasons that are often given Really big investments have a lot of unique costs associated with them. This is the public sector trying to defray some of the costs associated with really capital intensive projects. But more often than not, it's about competition. The reason we call these tax incentives is because we're trying to attract investment that might otherwise go to similar locations that have similar advantages. And because governments think that there are going to be long-term benefits to this investment, it's worthwhile to make some sort of upfront or after-the-fact contribution in the form of a tax cut or direct grants, low-interest loans. These subsidies can take a variety of different forms. Also, there are clear political incentives to providing this kind of support. There's a body of research that suggests there is a sort of electoral benefit to providing this money, not actually because of the impacts of the investment, but because 
of being able to announce job growth figures and to cut a ribbon. Uh, there's also just the financial interest that companies have and the politicians don't want to take the risk of having the company make the investment elsewhere. They're often willing to put more on the table than would at all be justified based on the company's financial needs. State governments use this justification that the incentives are needed to attract new businesses or they'll go somewhere else. How much merit does that argument have? The research is pretty consistent on this. 75 to 90 percent of projects would locate in the same location, even without the incentive, is sort of the consensus view on this. It's not 100 percent, which means that if you don't know in advance which projects are the ones you really need to be subsidizing and subsidizing to the degree you are, as a politician, your incentive is to err on the side of caution, which is to say, spend more. There are ways to address this issue. So structuring, as Nevada has done, incentive packages in such a way uh, as to sort of backload the costs. This is a way to make sure that companies actually follow through with the commitments they make, but also attach more strings, demand minimum wages, community benefits spending, other ways that governments can ensure that even if they are spending more than they really need to, that the benefits are broadly distributed. Of course, our primary concern, though, is that these incentives do come at the cost of public investment in important pieces of infrastructure or public services. What about the research says that these companies would relocate somewhere regardless of an incentive? It's tricky because we can't ever really know the the counterfactual here. Tesla is going to say, well, we absolutely wouldn't build in Story County if we didn't get this money. But I could just as easily say they would. But the research that has been done takes advantage of the fact that there's tremendous variety across states and local governments in the kinds of subsidies that they provide and their generosity. Broadly speaking, more than half of projects are mostly located where they are on the basis of the business fundamentals, the cost of labor, the cost of utilities, natural disaster risks, proximity to suppliers. Looking at the biggest subsidy packages in 2023, Tesla's facility in Nevada made that list. How does the state compare to the rest of the country when it comes to these economic development incentives? It's really not an outlier. Tesla stands head and shoulders above many of the other subsidized projects in the state. But when it comes to EV assembly and battery factories, uh, what we're finding is that there's really quite a a spending spree afoot right now all across the country. Billion dollar plus packages are quite common in states like Michigan and Georgia. The same is true also in the semiconductor industry. And the reason that we have been particularly critical of these, what we refer to as mega deal subsidy packages, Tesla's included, these sectors have been so heavily targeted is this new federal legislation that unlocked tens of billions of dollars in grants and low interest loans and income tax credits. And in many cases, we've found that the value of the federal credits alone exceed the capital expenditures necessary to build these facilities in the first place. And so what we're really talking about when states and local governments are topping up these projects with additional hundreds of millions, if not billions, in public support is kind of a a shakedown. No governor wants to be the governor that lost the big fish.
the electric vehicle and battery industry raked in a large share of the subsidies given by governments last year. What role do you think these incentives play in this push for cleaner energy? Well, we're certainly supportive of this scale of federal support unlocked by the Inflation Reduction Act for decarbonization and clean energy. It's a long time coming. We really have focused our critique on excessive subsidization at the state and local level, uh, especially given that tremendous public investment will also be necessary to facilitate this energy transition. We need states to be investing in infrastructure to support that. But we've also really keyed into the lack of job quality standards tied to these uh, subsidies, either at the federal or state level. And unfortunately, the Gigafactory is a good example of this. The state of Nevada does require Tesla to pay an average of $33.49 an hour associated with this most recent subsidy package. But that's an average across all of the workers that the company employs at the facility. We know a lot of the conversations surround job creation and providing good paying jobs. Nevada is very heavily reliant on tourism and the state took a big hit during the COVID-19 pandemic. What job quality promises does Good Jobs First want to see or recommend? The first thing is occupation specific wage requirements that are tied to what workers are already making in the sector, acknowledging that there is reasonable variation in cost of living. In addition, requiring health insurance, as the state of Nevada does, it is sort of exceptional in that regard. Extra scrutiny when it comes to occupational health and safety. And often we find that the most heavily subsidized companies regularly make the biggest payouts for breaking federal law um, when it comes to environmental regulations, workplace safety regulations. Another one, though, that has become increasingly a priority is childcare provision. What impacts are seen on the local level when a large company comes and sets up shop in town? We have to acknowledge that there are costs associated with growth. Often, who reaps the benefits, not always who pays the costs. Gigafactory is a good example of that. 99% of the jobs in Story County are done by workers who do not live in the county. The induced costs, mostly in the form of new people arriving to take those jobs, are being borne by outlying or surrounding communities, uh, specifically in Reno. The conversation there right now about revenue sharing, now that some of these tax exemptions are expiring, I think is an important one. More people means more kids in school means more drivers on the road, more calls to 911, that all of this new revenue should go to support infrastructure investments in Story County. I'm absolutely on board with replacing the sort of antique infrastructure they have there. But we're not just talking about local property taxes. There are other sources of revenue that are going to be raised I think the state should think seriously about apportioning it where the impact of this growth has been greatest. When these companies are given tax breaks, that's revenue that's not making it to state or local budgets. It's the public's money. But how transparent are these deals typically? We published a study two years ago now looking at economic development programs across all 50 states and evaluating them on the basis of transparency. Do we know the company that ultimately benefited from the subsidy? 
is there publicly available audited information about whether they actually followed through with the commitments that they made? And the state of Nevada came out on top in those rankings by a considerable margin. It's interesting that you mentioned that because here in the state, it feels like lawmakers and the public are only getting a couple days to review the legislation and then it's being voted on. So I'm curious, what is Nevada doing right? We were mostly looking at what we refer to as post-approval transparency. Do we know the terms of the deal? Pre-approval transparency Though we often find there are some quite politically sensitive deals where there's a lot of pressure to try and move quickly or to move without having to divulge a lot of information up front about who the company is or what the nature of the project is. When do you think government tax breaks for these large corporations really started to pick up? I know you don't have a crystal ball, but do you expect them to continue to grow? This is really the model in the United States, and it has been for at least the last 50 years, but some of the first industrial revenue bonds were issued in the 30s. Do I think that things are likely to be uh, changing anytime soon? I, I don't. When you have a hammer, every problem looks like a nail. And we've gotten ourselves into a situation where these are now uh, the only tools. I would also say we just need to broaden our thinking about what economic development really is subsidizing private investment is not exclusively economic development. Investing in housing and public transit and public education, these things are economic development as much as private investment is. We do find considerable skepticism and openness to reform. I think there is concern about trying new things. Does the revenue and job creation that these companies promise make up for the tax breaks? We can be fairly sure at this point, given decades of experience now, tax cuts do not pay for themselves. This trickle-down idea, it's time to retire it, but zombie-like it, it persists. There's obviously going to be variation by project. No one could deny that an investment on the scale of the Gigafactory had a huge economic impact, created a ton of payroll employment in in the region, stimulated population growth, raised property values, but growth does entail costs. It's just very difficult to, even when we have great information, to really say whether we got our money back, so to speak. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me, Jacob. Yeah, absolutely. That was Jacob Witten, a researcher with Good Jobs First. My guest during the first half of the show was Story County Manager Austin Osborne. I'm Lucia Starbuck, and you've been listening to Purple Politics Nevada. You can catch all of our episodes on Apple or Google Podcasts.